Hello, dear listener. A quick note before we begin. Our story today, while in the tradition of Victorian ghost stories for Christmas time, does stray into some darker territory with suicide. This can be a hard time of year for all, regardless of what you celebrate, so we wanted to share a friendly, heartfelt reminder that if you or a loved one is struggling with suicidal ideations, help is available, and you can talk to someone today at 800-273-8255. Be gentle with yourself, and remember to reach out if you need some support this dark winter season. Now, on to our tale. Welcome to Widdershin Stories, a storytelling podcast with live musical accompaniment by Joe Saborin. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator, guiding you to far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin Once Upon a Time. A Christmas Ghost Story, Author Unknown. There was not a prettier picture anywhere than the watermill, where the country people in the neighborhood of Darnforth took their wheat to be ground. It was worth a long walk to see the old brook, as it was called, turn the great wheel and dance in a thousand glittering drops from every mossy timber, and to hear it after it broke away from the task and darted off under the great black arch below was to be deafened with wild and turbulent music. Frank Underwood, the owner of the Old Brook Mill, and the proprietor of the fine house close by was once very poor and paradoxical as it may appear, was suddenly ruined by becoming very rich. When he was a young fellow, the pride of the neighborhood village, the hope of the adjacent town, and the betrothed of Alice Martin, a rich uncle died and left him heir to a fine estate upon which stood the old brook mill. With an approved worldliness that you might hardly have looked for in such a quiet rural district, Young Underwood broke off the engagement between himself and Alice, but he was punished for his perfidy. Riotous living and unfortunate speculation soon reduced him to ruin and bankruptcy. And, like many another, when he lost his gold, he lost his friends, too. The only being who did not desert him in affliction was the sweetheart of his boyhood. When those who had been his companions in the days of his wealth had left him, she hastened to him to be a comfort and solace in his misery. But Alice Martin fell a sacrifice to her devotion and her lover's insincerity. Scandal wove its meshes around her fair fame and deprived her of the shelter of a father's roof. The blow fell heavily, too, for her weak nature to bear, and a frozen corpse 
taken from the old brook soon afterwards, told her sad story of suffering and woe. After this, Frank Underwood stood alone in the world, a friendless and wretched man. Securing by loan enough money to purchase the mill where his uncle had made his money, Frank left the big town where he had been unfortunate, and as years rolled on, he regained nearly all the lost estate. By and by, everything he touched seemed to turn gold. The country people said he had sold himself to the devil. He became a thorough, money-grabbing, snarling skinflint like old Scrooge, and he had the same hatred of Christmas and, indeed, for every other festival which in any way interfered with his worldly arrangements. What Scrooge was to the city of London, Underwood was to Darnforth District, and I can vouch for the truth of every detail connected with this history of his love affair with Alice Martin. It was evening. The Christmas chimes were ringing in the villages, and the old, dear fashion music came sounding through the air from Oldbrook. For an hour or more, the miller sat rocking himself to and fro in his chair. At length, the night grew darker and darker, until, save now and then in the flicker of the firelight, he could scarcely see across his little room. The noise in the village grew still, the bells ceased telling their tidings of great joy, and the regular tick-tack, tick-tack of the old clock on the stairs became more distinct. The fire was low, the wind was high, and now and then a hiss of the smoldering ashes told of the falling snow without. Presently, old Underwood looked up and found that he was not alone. A figure was seated opposite to him, watching him with huge pair of lustrous eyes which for a time held him in motionless fascination. But the miller had a stout heart. He soon rallied and demanded the business of his mysterious visitor. The shadow with the eyes informed him that he was the ghostly representative of his uncle who, when he died, fearing that his heir might become a spendthrift, had buried a large amount of treasure near the old oak tree in the common. He felt, now that his nephew had gone through the fire adversity, seeing the result of extravagance and had turned out so excellent a money-getter that he could not rest in his grave without Frank digging up the hidden treasure. I'll do it, I'll do it. If it's all fair and no humbug, Mr. What's-Your-Name, said the miller, trembling before the shadow. Then follow me, said the visitor. Tomorrow, replied old Frank, the miller. Tomorrow I'll dig it up. Tonight you shall do it. Tonight, said the spirit. The window shook. A gust of wind rushed down the chimney. The doors opened with a bang, and the miller followed his ghostly leader into the freezing Christmas air. The miller saw nothing but the glaring eyes of the ghost, and he followed them until he stood by the old oak tree in the common. A spade and a pickaxe were lying by the tree, and the miser, despite the coming infirmity of age, went lustily to work. For an hour the spirit stood by, glaring at the gold finder. Suddenly, the axe struck against a hard substance. "'Tis there,' said the spirit. "'Tis there,' went echoing over the common. "'Tis there,' was repeated by a thousand voices in the air. The miller would have fallen all but speechless had he not suddenly discovered that his visitor had departed, but he soon rallied again. Passionate 
craving for gold was upon him, and he resumed his digging. The substance of which his axe had come into contact was an old-fashioned urn full of guineas, notes on a local bank, and precious stones. It was all the miller could do to lift it. Oh, he chuckled as he feasted his eyes upon it. I can satisfy my grudge against Simpkins and Co. There shall be a run in the Old Brook Bank tomorrow. Why should I help the poor? He continued, as if answering a question suggested by the inward monitor. I was poor myself. Nobody helped me. The poor indeed with their merry Christmas. Until the perspiration rolling down his face, the miller labored to pull the urn and its treasures on his shoulder, and at last he succeeded. But why does he tremble? Why do his eyes appear to be staring from his head? Why does he sink to the earth and cry for mercy? The urn had changed. On the miller's shoulders crouches a demon, fearful to contemplate. It is peering into his face with a fiendish grin. The old oak, too, is changed. Jabbering sprites are swinging about in the crooked branches and swarming about in the supplicating miser. They hiss at him, and the air is filled with their fiendish laughter. At this moment, the miller would gladly have given up one half of his wealth to have been once more at home in his mill. He prayed loudly to the earth at the foot of the old oak tree. By and by, he was raised from the earth. At his side stood the figure which had first lured him from his home, but without that terrible appearance which it first had assumed. The tree had disappeared, the common too was gone, and there was a weight upon the miller's back which needed no care on his part to keep there. Where are we? asked the miller, turning to his ghostly attendant. Ask no questions, but pay attention to what thou seest. I have driven hence the fiends who terrified thee, and am now here at the command of my master, Time, to show thee pictures of the past. The veil of the future will also be partially lifted to thy gaze, but it is in thy power to alter it what I shall show thee. Thy deeds in the past have been judged, thy yesterday, a furrow to the sand, has been washed out by the returning tide of today. The future alone is open to thee, said the ghost. They were on the outskirts of a beautiful village. There was a fragrant smell of newly mown hay in the air. Trees clothed in all beautiful verdure of the refulgent summer stretched long, leafy arms over the spot where Frank and his companions stood. In the shades of evening hung a misty mantle around them, which the pale moon, just rising, strove in vain to disperse. A youth was walking in the moonlight and a gentle girl leaning lovingly on his arm. The garb of a peasant set off the manly form of the youth. The maid was also clad simply, and her long brown hair fell in careless tresses over her shoulders. "'It is! It is!' exclaimed Frank, much agitated. "'Silence,' said the ghost. "'Listen.' "'Alice! Dear Alice!' whispered the youth. When we have money enough, marriage shall free you from this persecution, fear not. Ere long I shall earn more, and some day, when poor old uncle leaves this world, I may be rich. Hush, dear Frank. We will not build our hopes on the dead. I have saved a little, and we shall be happy yet. I do not desire that we should be rich. But that fellow James is wealthy, and he would marry you tomorrow. He loves you too, and might make you happy. He can give you comforts which you may never look to have with me, dear Alice. If you love me, Frank, is that not enough for me? 
Could I not suffer if it were necessary and be happy still if you were by my side? Bless you, exclaimed the youth, clasping the hand of Alice with fervor and pressing a hot burning kiss upon her forehead. You shall never regret your love, Alice. And they walked slowly away beneath the elm trees. Oh, let us follow them, good ghost. Pray, let us follow them. I know them well. We are in my native village. The beautiful girl is Alice. And the youth is Frank Underwood, replied the ghost. I would follow them, said the miller. Tis useless. Whomsoever you see, they cannot see you. We are to them no more than air. These are the shadows of the past, said the ghost. Frank attempted to follow the lovers, notwithstanding, but the weight on his back pulled him to the earth. Take it away, gold or diamonds, remove the weight, groaned the old man, but still it pressed heavily upon him. I meant to be true to her, I did indeed, said the old man, at the scene changed again. Frank Underwood, Esquire, once the peasant use, now the wealthy manufacturer, sat at the head of his own table in his own dining room. Around him were a crowd of sycophants, male and female. The master of the house was carrying on a pleasant flirtation with an ogling painted beauty. Ere the miller could speak again, the village was before him again. He stood on the same spot where he had seen the lovers only a few minutes before. Alice, grown into womanhood, was there, alone with her sorrows. I saw him, but he never seated me. He turned from me in scorn, and the servants drove me from the door. I will never go again. And now that he is rich, it is not likely that he can love a poor girl like me. And no one loves me now. Tired of asking me to accept the hand of Mr. James, father scarcely speaks to me save in anger, and when poor dear mother died, she would not have her broken-hearted Alice near her. Thus, between sobs and tears, spoke the beautiful Alice as she glided slowly past the miller and his unearthly guide. Poor soul, God forgive me, exclaimed Frank on his knees. Take me away, I can see no more. I'm going mad, almost shrieked the old man. I, I loved her again, I did, I did, he continued. Once more, the scene changed. They were within the walls of a prison, Frank Underwood was in debtor's goal. By his side stood Alice. I could not desert you when I heard you were in distress, although you drove me from you in your prosperity, said the girl. The man groaned audibly and big tears were in his eyes. I repent, I repent, but tis useless now. You can never love me again. You can never forgive me. I can, said the girl cannot love a prisoner, a bankrupt, an outcast from society. <laughs> you do not know a woman's heart. I can love you now more than ever if that were possible. Can you love Alice again? I can, but I have said so before and proved false to you. I hate myself. I am wretched, miserable, mad. Go home, poor girl. Go home! To the man in terrible accents. I shall soon have no home except in heaven. This visit to you, which has cost me a day and a night of hard walking, may rob me of the last spark of my father's love. Think of your younger days. Think of your promises. Think, said the girl, looking earnestly into the prisoner's face. I do, and I am mad with remorse, but I may 
yet atone. At this moment, a turnkey bade Alice depart. Stop, stop, cried the miller. I loved her, I loved her then. I meant to atone, let her know that at least, he said. But the prison and its occupants vanished. Once again, the village appeared. It was a cold winter night. The snow was on the ground. No living form save that of a woman was visible. I cannot bear it, said Alice as she hurried by the spot where the miller and the ghost were standing, driven from home, footsore, disgraced by the tongue of a scandal, weak, cold, houseless. It is too much for me, and how do I know that he will even now love me again? Oh, no, no, I am going mad. He will. He does cried poor old Underwood, the miser miller. Follow her, and see still more of the effects of riches. Go, man, and see thine own handiwork, said the ghost, and the miller hastened after the wretched woman. The noise of old brook was heard in the distance as it fell from the mill dam and roared beneath the water well. Louder and louder became the noise of the torrent. Nearer and nearer approached the woman towards the river. I, I, I could save her now, but for this horrible load, cried the miller, satisfied of her wild intent. Take it away, take it away, he shrieked. But the demon sat still more heavily upon him. The ghost was by his side to taunt and to warn. Tis the gold you dug out of the common, you'll want it. Gold is your idol, old man. Not now, never again, shrieked the miller. Oh, heaven, remove this weight. They were now close to the mill dam. A gleam of moonlight played upon the river. The water wheel clicked in solemn regularity. Old Underwood was in... in reach of the flying maiden. He put out his hand to save her. Once more his load of riches dragged him to the ground. Save her. Oh, save her. Dear, dear Alice rang over the waters, but the old brook had received the suicide, and the mill wheel went round, and the water rolled on as before. Take away the weight. It burns me. It pierces my heart. I am dying. Mercy, mercy, cried Frank. Why, whatever's the matter, Mr. Underwood, cried Sarah, his housekeeper, who was just returned from an evening visit and found her master lying on the floor gasping for breath. Whatever have you been a-doing, sir, she said as she proceeded to lift him up. Oh, Sarah, Sarah, where am I? Take off the weight, take it off, cried the terrified miller. Why, you're where I left you, sir? Dear me, where do you think you are? Light the candles, but don't leave me, he said, seizing her by the arm. I'd sooner be poor Sarah Maggs than rich Mr. Underwood, after all, thought Sarah. The candles lighted. Frank shook himself, pinched himself, stood upright, sat down, walked, stamped, and went through other similar investigations to his physical position, and at last came to the conclusion that he had been released from the ghosts, for he would never believe that he'd only been dreaming. Perhaps it was all the better. He should discard the dream. 
and adhere to the more terrible idea that he had been in ghostly company. For from that moment, he became a different man. And he has now the credit of being the best and most hospitable landlords in the neighborhood. The year after he went out with the ghost, he built that fine house on the hill yonder where Christmas now brings some of its happiest moments. The genius of Christmas past presides there, bringing every year its sirloins of beef, its pies, its puddings, its capons, its turkeys, its geese, its wassail bowls, its yule logs, and its thousand other good things, all to the big house of the old miller. The great festival is observed in every detail, and there are little presents for all who call there on Boxing Day. A handsome tombstone has arisen over the grave of Alice Martin, five miles above the dam. And every Christmas Eve, an old man is seen in the churchyard, some say upon his knees. Old Sarah knows that there is a great deal of truth in the report, for ever since that evening when she found her master in such a dreadful fright, Frank Underwood, the miller, always quietly disappears for several hours on every successive Christmas Eve. The white mare and the well-known Phaeton may invariably be seen tethered in a byway near the turnpike, waiting for their gray-headed owner when the bells were ringing in honor of Christmas Eve. Wittershin Stories is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and musician Joe Saborin. If you've enjoyed what you're listening to, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with the seat open for you by the fire. <laughs>